Welcome to La Lumination with your hosts, the fabulous Jimmy LaLumia and me, Susan faber Gady. Come with us as we delve into the lesser-known facts about music business history and pop culture with an occasional infusion of current events as told through the lens of music. Welcome to today's edition of La Lumination. I'm Jimmy LaLumia. And with me is co-hostess Susan Faber-Gady. And we are still in COVID mode, which is why Susan is in that lovely futuristic set. And I'm sitting on my bed in uh, El Casa La Lumia. And uh, today we have a very special guest, which I'm very happy to introduce. A friend of mine for many years is going to share past, present, and future with us. A denizen from the get-go of Max's Kansas City in Manhattan, New York, Yvonne Sewell Ruskin. Yvonne, are you there? I am here and ready to go. Yes, you are. Hi, Yvonne. And you're look- Hi. looking divine, looking ready divine. With, How are you? with the stories. <laughs> How are you? What's what's what? How are you today? I'm how really, how are things with COVID? Is that King, affecting you? I'm in Kingston, New York, and mm-hmm. um, besides the fact that today, as we all know, was very humid and hot, mm. um, I must say, you know, so far so good in regard to COVID nineteen. You know, we never want to peak too soon, as I always say, but. Um, Things up here are beginning to open up. Okay. Um, it feels starting, you know, I, I, I've actually been doing a fair, amount, a fair amount of outside dining. Okay. Restaurants, which really feels great because there were several months of real isolation, you know. And, you know, um, you know, but you still have to wear a mask. You still have to really be vigilant, I believe, you know. And, mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And absolutely. Yeah. There are yeah. unfortunately a lot of people who don't understand why wearing the mask is important and why it's just simple common courtesy and respect to your fellow citizen because the only way this virus gets stopped is if it doesn't if it can't jump from human to human so it's really important to wear the mask you know is it you have to you have to stop you have to stop feeding it right and the way you stop feeding it is following the precautions exactly and we're not a polit we're not a political show Mm -mm. and we don't go into politics but unfortunately We'll simply say that some people think they're making a statement. And then some people, as we've seen online, go ahead and die. And if that's their choice to make a statement, if they think, you know, God bless, you know. But we're not here to talk about that today. We're Mm -hmm. here to talk about a decades-long association with the very first, what I consider, and if I'm wrong, I will stand corrected, the very first truly underground New York City, or anywhere else in America, nightclub. Mm-hmm. Max is Kansas City. Mm-hmm. And um, Yvonne mentioned to me the other day uh, about Bridget Berlin, who was one of the many oh, uh, from the early days of Max's. And, um, 
And unfortunately, many have gone that route in recent times. But Yvonne, what is what is your earliest memories of Max's Kansas City circa, I guess, 65, 67? No, you still, you I tell was still us. I in college. I was mm-hmm. still in college. Well, first of all, I didn't even know Mickey. I actually, in college, had been to the Ninth Circle via a sister of a friend who I went to college with. But and, you know, we went there and it was a very interesting place because they had the big barrels of peanuts and they had the sawdust on the floor so you could eat the peanuts and throw, you know, the, the um, peanut shells on the floor. But I had no idea that who Mickey Ruskin was or that he even owned the place. It was just a fun place to go. She said, if you're going to the village, go to the Ninth Circle. So I graduated and then Mickey opened after he, you know, um, sold the Ninth Circle to his partner, Bobby Crivet, he went away for a year with his then wife, Sharon, and traveled Europe. And um, then uh, came back and wanted to open another place and found this place on Park Avenue South between 17th and 18th that actually was a luncheonette at the time. And... Um, he wanted to open further down, but there was a clause in the contract when he sold to Bobby Crivet that said, you can't, no competition clause. So he ended up opening and he got a very good deal on the place in December of 65. Now I was still in college. I graduated college in 67. So I actually went out to Haight-Ashbury, San Francisco for the summer of love and sat up on Hippie Hill with all the other flower children. Um, and then, you know, when I was running out of money, I, my vision was that I wanted to travel for a year before I really decided what I wanted to do. But I really didn't have the money to travel. So my vision was that I would waitress for a year because that's what I did in college. And I actually hitchhiked back with someone to New York City and started looking for a waitressing job and really didn't know where I should go. You know, these ended up in these places that were topless and bottomless. And you know, I, said, no, I have no idea where. So I, I, I went to visit a friend who had lived there for a while who was going to Pratt Institute. And he said, you got to go to this place called Max's Kansas City. This is the place to be where the waitresses are treated like stars and make lots of money. And I said, I really want to go there. And and he mentioned to me that he and I went to uh, high school in Westport, Connecticut, had a high school friend that was working there. She was a a couple of years older, but he said, the way you're going to get in is to use her name. That's the way, because he said, you know, everybody wants to work at Max's. So I followed him, followed his directions in terms of, I called up and said, you know, I know so-and-so and and, um, I really like to get an interview as a waitress. And that got me in the door. And so then I, I went over there, this was like August of 67. And I went over there and I looked around and, all the whole area and saw this 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 big marquee that said Max's Kansas City steak lobster steak lobster and chickpeas and I'm saying what the hell 
our chickpeas. I had no idea. <laughs> Did you know what chickpeas were? Absolutely not. Did you Absolutely know? Not. I, oh, yeah. Yeah, they were a staple in my family. Yeah. Oh. And yours, yeah. Jim? I never, I had never heard of them. I, I thought never... it was, I thought it was a fabricated thing. I didn't even think it was a real thing. I hadn't, I honestly didn't know what chickpeas were, but anyway, and, and so to, to, to kind of move it forward here, I was, I came a little bit early. They you usually came between three and four. That is when you, what you, they interviewed you for a waitressing job. Now, remember, I had never even seen the place before. And I wanted to kind of check out the area, so I came early. And I see, I'm standing out front, kind of just scoping the area out. And I see this man coming from 18th Street with this suit on, with this big flowered tie and his hair hanging over his eye with the shiny black hair and his his pant leg a little bit short and I he was so fascinating looking at me he looked like a I, I said like, like a um a Nicobod Crane character you know so <laughs> I, I, I I watched him with my eyes and I and he, and he went he actually went past Max's and went into there was a bank on the corner a chemical bank right on the corner of 17th Street, that is now the W Hotel. So okay. then I I thought, okay, I'll go, you know, I'll go into Max's and uh and then and check check it out. So I went in and you know I went into there's this huge. You go in the bottom floor and it just seemed like, but truthfully, don't forget, I had I used to go to like the village in the in the city, but like the dugout or places like that in Greenwich Village. This place was huge. I mean, I had never seen a place like this. It just went on forever. And so I, you know, walked around for a little bit and was kind of checking it out. And then there was a cashier and I, and I up front and I said to the cashier, you know, I'm here for the waitressing job for the interview. And she said, that's, you have to go up two flights of stairs. And then you, you walk into a, you know, kind of a big area and you sit there and you wait till your your turn. You wait your turn. I wasn't the only one. So I did that. I went upstairs and, and sat there and waited. And I was really dressed to the nines because I had now been to several places and I really needed this job. I mean, I was running out of funds, you know. I was only 21 years old, you know. And so anyway, I... Finally, my name is called, and I'm well, needless to say, you're really kind of nervous, you know. And I go back, you have to go all the way back to the very back in this to this office. And I walked in there, and there is the man sitting at the desk who was the man that I saw walking down the street that looked like a distinguished Ichabod Crane. <laughs> <laughs> I went, oh my God. Anyway. And, you know, Mickey would ask you all, I didn't know who he was, don't forget. I had no idea who anybody was. I didn't know what his position was. I just thought maybe he's this manager that interviews people. What did I know? I didn't, you know, I, I had never had a job in New York City. I was in college, you know, and I grew up in a suburb. So um, he asks you all kinds of questions like, you know, and of course I mentioned that I had gone to school with Patsy because Patsy... Um, 
her, you know, her family, um, she was a trust fund child. And so I think he was thinking, oh, Westport, Connecticut, trust fund. <laughs> anyway, and so he would say, what do you want to be when you grow up? And why, do you, why are you here? And why do you think you should get, the, you know, it's all these different questions. And um, anyway, it went on for quite a while. And there was really a very strong connection between him and I. I always say, I think it's because we looked alike. You know, and we were both narcissistic. I don't know. So anyway, <laughs> anyway, and at the end, he said, "I think you know." He said, um, "I don't know. You seem a little too flighty. I, I'm, I'm, I'm really having hesitations about this." And I said, "Because you know, I'm kind of a very upbeat type of personality, and and I could people could get that impression." And I said, "Make no mistake." I'm a very focused, single-minded person. And so I think I said something like, why don't you hire me as your private secretary or something? And so he said, anyway, there was a lot of sparks flying over this interview, I have to tell you. And then he um, said, okay, I'm going to give you a chance. You have to trail for two nights. You don't get paid. And you, he hands you this book, this booklet that you have to read that has all the rules in it. And I was so excited. I was so excited. And I actually, this is a true story. I went home and my sister and I were sharing an apartment way over on West 20th Street off of 7th Avenue. And I said, I'm so excited. I just got it, just got his job at the most famous place in downtown Manhattan, this, this place called Max's Kansas City. And I said, I just met the man who's gonna be the father of my children. Wow. Wow. <laughs> the beginning of my journey at Max's Kansas City. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's a true New York that's a true New York story. That's Oh, for that's sure. Really, <laughs> that's a true That New is York so New story. York. Oh, so yeah. New York. Yeah. Now, the underground, the underground, yeah, at that point was all the way downtown. Whereas Max's with the Park Avenue and the 17th Street, it was not quite out of downtown, but it wasn't really it was kind of like a, and the proximity to the factory at that time, I think was right down the block, right? Well, Warhol's factory. Know, well, you know where Max's was. And, and then there was, the, yes. the square was right there at the time, you know, right. that, was, that was really still like a junkie, a, a, a park. It was still a park where people would, you know, there were a lot of addicts hanging out in that right. park that hadn't been cleaned up yet. Right. But because exactly. Warhol, you know, don't forget it opened, this was 67 now. It opened in December of 75. So we're almost a year and a half into it where it was on fire. I mean, that right. place was packed all the time. And Warhol, I just wanted to correct you even because yeah. you said uh, 75, and I know you meant to say oh, 65. I did. I meant yeah. 65. It opened... Yeah. Yes. And then 65, yeah. And and so right. actually Warhol, because he used to have his lunch meetings there all the time, moved his factory downtown on Union Square, which was really all, not quite across the street from Max's, but perpendicular, okay? So that he can really walk over with all of his superstars and his entourage of the factory uh, to hang out at Max's Kansas City at night. In the back room which we all, the infamous back room of Max Kansas City really became the Warhol room. Now before him, it was 
Joan Baez was the one person who hung out there a little bit, but it didn't have any identity until Warhol came along. It was just a room in the back. And that certainly helped with publicity for the club because Max's then became associated with the Warhol crowd yes. just as that was really starting to get press attention, which of course benefited the Warhol crowd and it benefited Max's. And you were you were right in the thick of it by that point, correct? You were working I was, there. I was you were... waitressing. I was waitressing, yes. And, but mm, also, well. what Mickey didn't know when he got that place um, is that a lot of artists and fashion photographers and Albert Grossman, who managed Dylan and Joplin and the band and, and you know, Paul Butterfield and... and Several other people lived at Gramercy Park and had an office there, even though he also had an office upstate, but he had an office there. But all these fashion photographers had their studios on Broadway and on Fifth Avenue, which wasn't that far. And, and then artists had lofts there and poets. And so they discovered this place and they started the... Of course, the fashion photographers started bringing the models. And of course, where you have models, you know, all these other people come. And then the artists started coming. And um, Danny Fields, who, you know, I'm not sure if Danny went to the Ninth Circle and hung out there. But he really created, because he was, you know, involved with the record business as a, a record company executive and also as a publicist. And uh, a, uh, he brought the music scene actually to that back room of Max's. So all right sudden, in the, all in the mid six. Yeah. Yeah. In the mid sixties, Danny was editing date book magazine. I think it was date book. Cause that was, he ran the infamous uh, interview with John Lennon, where John said, we're bigger than Christ. And that was, I think Danny's first claim to fame with date oh, really? book, which was competing. That. Yeah. That was competing with 16 magazine which Danny then went on to edit 16 Magazine right. when Gloria Stavers became my mentoress, uh, my first uh, champion, the late Gloria Stavers. Uh, Danny took over 16 from her. So he was right in the thick of all of that at he that period of time. He was in the thick of it. Yeah, mm -hmm. but then, and he was a great advocate of Max's, always. And then, but then he started working for Elektra Records. And, right, right. Yeah, and he would bring exactly. in... The, not, not only did he bring in songs for the jukebox, but I was a big music person. So I would also go with Mickey to the record store and choose songs. He was into country music. So he relied on other people. I mean, the great thing about Max is besides you know, the diversity of the different ages, it was interracial and intergenerational. And that and the mix was just phenomenal. You know, I mean, for a waitress, it was it was really bedlam, I have to say, because it was so busy all the time. And when you were new, they wanted to see if you were going to last. So they would put you in that back room with all of Warhol's people, not to be disparaging, but most of who were on drugs and didn't eat. And, and, 
And you, they had you running all night long for mm-hmm. a baked potato or the big salad where everybody shared the salad. And, and then they would sign their name to Andy's bill. So while all the other waitresses were making $100 a night, you came home with like, if you were lucky, thirty dollars a night. So we used to call that the punishment room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but there boy. were people like Deborah oh. Harry who came after me, who had a reason to be back there. There were certain people that liked being back there because it had a purpose for them. It had no purpose for me because I was looking to make money to travel. So right. Yeah. Yeah, they wanted to network. They wanted to uh, make connections. Exactly, exactly. And did you so, go to that? So, did you go to that back room at back then? I never. No, no. I was. Uh, I was actually in the late sixties. I was still in high school. Oh. And um, by the early, se- I was reading about it though. I was. Right. I was ravenously devouring the Village Voice every week, and just envisioning uh, all of these people <laughs> that I would read about, like Holly Woodlawn. And Wayne County, and and all of whom, as you know, I eventually caught up with, and they yes. caught up with me, and with yes. your, and as I did with you and everybody else. But um, at that time, I was all the way out in the sticks on Long Island, just reading about all of that and visualizing all of it. But I did realize that was the epicenter of what was to become the underground. Prior to that, I don't remember hearing of anything that took on the the iconic nature of Max's as far as the world of art, the world of film, the world of music, the world of being hip, the, the hipness factor, that was all Max's. That was all of you that were there at that time. There was nothing like that before. And everything that followed, Max's was that role model as far as I was concerned and continued, you know, and continues to be iconic up to this point. Because one of the things because I know we we are not here for hours. I do want Yvonne to explain about something that's very near and dear to her heart, which is the nonprofit for artists in Max's name, which she has been a patroness from the day, from day one when she first announced it. And I I wonder if you could elaborate on that just a bit so that we don't suddenly we're out of time. I I want, I think that's very important. Well, I so appreciate that because I mean, mm-hmm. We all really, including you, you know, had been the MC over the years in many of our events, um, all the teamwork that has kept it going all these years. But, you know, um, because Mickey was a huge patron of the arts, and I think one of the reasons, one of the ways he and I both connected, we connected on many levels. It's, you know, I mean, I, I will end up saying yes we did end up together, and yes, we do have children. So, you know, fantasies do come true. I don't care what anybody right. says. <laughs> and well-deserved. Well-deserved. You know, anyway, but, but um, because he was a huge patron of the arts and, and, and really a philanthropist, and I too was, I mean, in my own way, even when I met him, even in college I was. So um, it, it was sort of my vision to... Um, carry on the legacy. I felt that there was really nobody that was carrying on the legacy. And I decided to start this nonprofit for artists in need um, 
also, I had had a, I had had a crooked financial advisor, you know, that gambled. I sold my loft and moved to Europe for a period of time, thinking I was never going to have to work again in my life. But had a crooked financial advisor, so I was forced back to New York, and I had also been in a dispute over the trademark. But all of a sudden, I get this 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 letter from my attorney saying. You won, the name is yours. That was with when I was in that dispute with Tommy Dean. And um, I had walked away from that dispute. I said, he can have it. I'm gone. I'm selling my loft. I'm going to Europe, going to live the rest of my life in a happy... You know. I remember. But, I but remember. then I had this crooked yeah. financial advisor. So I think also the universe had different plans for me. So when I got back, I get this letter from my attorney saying... You won. The name is yours. So I said, okay, I am supposed to do something good with this name to carry on the legacy. That's why it was given to me because I walked away from it. And that's when I decided to start the nonprofit for artists in need. So what we do, we, we are twofold. We provide emergency relief for individuals in the arts in crisis for housing, medical and legal aid. Um, we give one-time grants if you live in New York State, if you're a resident of New York State, or you were connected to Max's in any way. We give one-time grants of $1,000, between $500 and 1000 depending upon your situation um, for housing, medical, and legal aid. And we also give a youth called the, the Max's Hot Records Award, a youth grant every year. Um, because I'm in a community of upstate New York, we really try to be part of the community. So that grant usually goes to a high school student um, in any, any part of uh, the Hudson Valley. We give to all different forms of the arts, different ethnicities. We try to give to um, those um, minorities whose family might not be able to send them to a summer program in the arts. So we provide a $500 grant for, the, for a student to attend a summer program in the arts if they, if they have an interest in the arts to kind of further their, their interest in their education. Um, and if we have the funds, we give two grants. This year we're giving two grants because we had been donated $1,000 for that particular purpose. So that is what we... And, Obviously, with COVID-19, we were absolutely inundated, absolutely inundated with applications. And so, truthfully, I have been spending most of my time now writing my own grant proposals to other organizations to bring in more funding so we can, in fact, continue to help those impacted by COVID-19. And so if anyone wants to participate, um, what do they do? How do they... Uh... They go to. If they want to donate a couple of bucks. They go to maxiskansascity.org, yeah. and there's a donate button on every page. <laughs> and you know, okay. we actually have a. We actually have a. We're just starting the beginning stages of development of a virtual fundraiser. However, that's still in the development stages. We're hoping that, that it'll go. We'll be able to put it together, and and that should be in mid-September. Uh, we have to. We're now just working on the platform to make sure that we can actually do what we envision. All right, and Susan, I thought I heard Mark interjecting. Was that my imagination, or someone trying time. to speak? We have extra oh, we time. We have extra time. We have extra wow. time. Zoom, Zoom gave like us a that. gift. They lifted the forty-minute restriction. Wow. wow. They so, must know about the nonprofit. That's great. They must. So, what 
one other thing I want to ask about, um, and something I was very flattered to be incorporated into, uh, which is the book High on Rebellion Inside the Underground at Max's Kansas City by Yvonne. Um, the current status is as an ebook. Yes. Uh, yes. And are there any chances of a reprint or is yeah. that? That is on, it's an ebook on open, open road digital media. But I have to be, mm -hmm. I mean, of course, I want people to get the ebook, but I also say that, you know, I mean, on Amazon, you know, it's going to be a cult book eventually, you know, I mean, that particular edition, one will never be able to get again because right the, the, the it was brilliant it was just it was just so exciting anymore. yeah so that you can get you know a used copy which isn't so terrible you know on amazon but there right. is also if you want to sit and read something on the subway or whatever it definitely is an ebook but i own all the rights so given that and and by the grace of god we will see this documentary you know hopefully sooner than later um, it then I will have I will be able to republish that book because I own Great. all the rights. Yeah, and there's Fabulous. only a period of time where I do have an agent on the book where we have um, uh, a contract. Wow. So, okay. Awesome. So yeah, there is still hope. Good. Yeah, absolutely. Good. And thanks for mentioning. So did we over did, did we overstay our uh, our time? Where where are we with the time, folks? Oh, we have about Boxes. another. I'd say like 15 minutes. Okay. Susan, did you, you want to story, ask any? Jim? Tell one of your stories. How did you get to Max's? Well, I got to Max's by becoming a writer. And okay. I became a writer, which I've explained to people many times, because I did not really have money as a kid. It was really not uh, available to me. I was fascinated with music and what have you. And I wrote an article for my high school paper about a new album that was called Jesus Christ Superstar, oh. which was a brand new album. It was only an album at the time. There was no plans for a play or what have you. Oh. And the English teacher said, why don't you send that to the record company? And I said, why would I do that? And he said, they might want to quote you and they might send you more records. So I did. And they did. I suddenly wow. wound up while in high school on the mailing list of every record company in America. Wow. And suddenly my house was getting inundated with boxes of records. My mom thought I was going to go broke, but I explained to her they're free. And she said, nothing in life is free. And I said, you're right, Ma. Nothing in life is free. I write a review of this record. People go out and buy it and spend their money. I earned my right to that free record. So you're right, Ma. Nothing is free, yeah, including so my opinion. So from there, I started writing reviews of shows and being invited by the labels to places, including Max's Kansas City. I'll never forget because when I became a manager in the early 70s at Sam Goody's record chain in retail, I was invited to see a band called Steely Dan, who were brand new. They had one hit single out called Do It Again, and um, they played Max's. And the kids at that worked for me years later at Sam Goody were enthralled by the fact that I saw um, Steely Dan at such a venue. It was not like a gigantic venue. It was the venue where Bruce Springsteen and Bob Marley and the Whalers and everybody that you could imagine uh, cut their teeth and got their deals from and came up through the ranks from. And uh, so I was there primarily as a participant and got to know Yvonne years later 
through Flavia and Bernard Stolman at ESP Disc when um, I had a Jane County album released on ESP and Yvonne was starting to put the, the, the idea of the book together. And that's when she and I really put our heads together, correct, Yvonne, around that period yeah. of time. And uh, we became very close and we remained in contact and have worked on a million projects together right up to including this moment right here. And it's always been an honor and a thrill to work alongside her because she is a part of New York history and and a player in it. And um, But yeah, that's how, that's how that was my involvement at Max's until in the second generation of Max's under the Tommy Dean era uh, that I formed the Psychotic Frogs and started cutting records and became a Max's band, which if anyone had ever told me when I was a little kid reading about this place <laughs> that I would be playing there, headlining there, I would have been like, get the hell out of here. But you know what? As Yvonne said, dreams do come true. Right. And um, they do. And when it's something that you love, just as what we do with this show, just as everything that Yvonne does, you go for it and things do happen if you are earnest and you're determined and if you have something to offer. And so I've been led to believe occasionally that I have something to offer. And part yeah. of that is finding, finding diamonds that we can invite onto this program like Yvonne Ruskin, who um, has many tales to tell and people should go and get the ebook of High on Rebellion inside the underground at Maxis, Kansas City, on Amazon or wherever you get ebooks. Mm -hmm. And um, Yvonne, is there a spoken word version of that yet? Is there a uh, an audio audible book? version of that? An no. audio? Not yet. Do you want to do one? Are you going to do one? Um, well, know, actually, I, though, you would need all those because so, of the way I've been so busy with the nonprofit and 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 truthfully keeping it afloat. Um, it really, because I, I, I wear a lot of hats, as you know, um, and, yes. and yes. really um, keeping the energy of the film alive, you know. Well, yes. Been, well, that's, been, that's, that's priority. That's priority. Um, yes. Uh, but I believe that we will, we will complete that. I and actually, now that I'm thinking about the book and the format of the book, the book is all of our voices including yes. myself, where our names appear. So actually, maybe that's not quite as plausible unless you do all the female voices and I do all the male voices. Maybe, <laughs> I don't know. We, could, well, but, um, we can work it out, Jimmy. We can work it there you out. Go. Susan? Was there you Susan, go. Did, you, did Susan ever go to Max's? No, I was, I, I was born in 1960. So in the late oh. 60s, I was still way underage. Right. But I do have a very funny story about, um, about Jimmy. <clears throat> the first time I ever met Jimmy in person was at a Max's Kansas City uh, project uh, event, you know, concert. He was emceeing. Uh, that, I believe, was 2006. Okay, so now a few years later, my father ends up in the Long Island State Veterans Home, which where Jimmy spends a goodly portion of every week of his life helping our nation's veterans. And I go to see my father one night, and he says to me, I had the best, I had the best person helping me today. And he says to me, his name was James. I'm like, okay. I'm thinking, 
who's James? You know what I mean? And I said to him, does he have a last name? And he says to me, oh, I can't. It was la, 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 something. And I said to him, jokingly, I said, oh, it couldn't possibly be Jimmy LaLumia. He was like, that's it. I said, no, daddy. No, you no. <laughs> you don't understand who Jimmy is. And I started explaining to him about Jimmy and Max's Kansas City. And my father says to me, I know what Max's Kansas City was. I spent a lot. I, you know, I was always in the city. I know oh, really? I knew Max's. He said to me, uh, and he mentioned Mickey. And I, I, I said to him, well, Jimmy was, uh, he was always there. He had, you know, the Jimmy J- and the psychotic frogs, you know. Right. And he says to me, Oh, wow. Well, he got me so comfortable in this bed today. That's all that matters to me. It was just, so I came home and I told Mark and he says to me, oh, no, 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 no. You know, the oxycodone, just like the night your father thought he was in a bank lobby on Portion Road at three (laughs) o'clock in the morning. Let's call Jimmy and find out. So we called Jimmy and I'm expecting Jimmy to say, no, that wasn't me. Like, Jimmy, were you at the veteran's home today? He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm there every day. Why? Oh, you took, did you take care of my father? Who's your father? Al Faber. It was just a moment, Yvonne. Wow. It was, yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. And he was yeah. a great man. Thank you. He was a great man. And um, it was a pleasure working with him. And, um, <laughs> you know, uh, as you know, I took care of my mom at home. Yeah. Uh, rather than put her anywhere until she passed. And that opened my daytime gig, which Yvonne has had to work around when I've explained when mm-hmm. I do the shows. I'm running in and out because I'm a CNA, state certified nurse's aide in the morning. And then I'm on stage in the evening with all the the, mm-hmm. the, the out there uh, gang from the 60s and 70s when we do these shows. And uh, I, it, I traverse both worlds, you know, and right? it's, it's interesting. Well, Jimmy, it's very interesting. Jimmy was directly, I have to really, directly responsible. I have to credit him with stopping my mother and I from making a mistake, which would have been to pull my father out of the vet's home. This was mm-hmm. our first experience with skilled nursing care and nursing homes. We, ha- we had no choice because my father was 275 pounds and had completely wow. lost the ability to move. Wow. Right. So, you know, I knew nothing about nursing homes. And so a couple of things went wrong and I kind of flipped my wig over it. And Jimmy sat me down and said, let me give you a little education about nursing homes, particularly in our geographic area. This really is kind of like the palace compared to all these other facilities. Mm. And so... Um, so he was really directly responsible for sort of <laughs> keeping me in line. You know, this was... Well, this yeah, was, because, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it, you know. It was important. And, and it really is, I have to say, it really is the Ritz-Carlton of uh, nursing yeah, homes. It is. But, but there are sometimes people that are hired there that maybe shouldn't be hired. And they eventually, and I'm sure Yvonne has dealt with people uh, through the years that not everybody turns out to be the way you want them to be. And you, you, you separate the wheat from the chaff or whatever the yeah. phraseology is, but that doesn't mean that you give up. Right. That doesn't mean that you right. surrender. I think the hardest- And that's one thing that we all, I think all of us share in common. We do not surrender. Yeah, I know. And uh, we, find, we find a way. 
Yeah. You know, my 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 dad was a was a bar owner for many years of my growing up, and <laughs> uh, and I think that's one of the reasons why he was familiar with Max's right. and Mickey. You know, wow. and you know, my father was a big man. You know, always capable of taking care of himself. You know, tossed many a rowdy person out of his bars, you know, over the years. And then here he was flat on his back, couldn't mm-hmm. move a muscle. And for the first time in his life, he had to, he, he felt very vulnerable mm-hmm. and afraid of people that, you know, what they, you know, he, he's doped up on painkillers to begin with. So Jimmy was the calm voice of reason when I was, yeah, yeah. Look at the serendipity of all of this. Here we are, the three of us together. I know it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, we never know what's going to bring us together. No, and you knew knew Mark before I knew Mark, Yvonne. I used to represent Mark. Yes, I know. I know. (laughs) It's so funny how we're interconnected here. It's really Well, that was it because... The show that you were mentioning, Susan, uh-huh. was Yvonne's, uh, the Gibson, the Gibson uh, Baldwin. Right. Uh, right. That was Yvonne's event. Right. Yeah. That was her event. And yeah. that's when Jane joined us on stage. And yes. Actually, actually, I had explained to Yvonne, because I was providing care continuously to my mom during that period. So I bolted into the city with that makeshift version of Psychotic Frogs. Who turned out to be very, very good, by the way, that night. We were there. We did our set. I kissed Yvonne hello. I kissed Yvonne goodbye. Back in the car, back home, because the show must go on. And, um, you know, it was an interesting period of time. There was a lot of that, of me wearing the nursing hat at home, running into the city and being the fabulous Jamila Lumia, and then running back to toilet someone and feed them and remind them who they are. Yeah. And uh, it builds character, I it guess. Does. You know? I, I had the same situation it, with my mother when we did the remake of 96 Tears with you. I remember. Yeah. 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 It was hard. Yeah. It was really, mm-hmm. it, that was a challenge. You know, yeah. she was here. She was here. She was at home. She wasn't, you know, dad had been in the nursing home. Mom was home. So it was all on me because my brother died many years ago. He died in 99 of cancer. Mm. And um, and so it, it was a challenge. It was a challenge. But it was Mark who mixed that show. Yes, Mark yeah. was yeah. engineering that show mm-hmm. at the mixing yes, board. Yes, he was at the rehearsal. Yeah, he yeah. he oversaw the rehearsal mm-hmm. when I first put the band together. That's when right. we first clicked. Mm-hmm. Then we did the single, and then they came up with this idea in more recent times. For Lalumia, I guess they seem to think that I talk a lot. I don't know <laughs> where they got that notion from. Well, what but- I've always loved, Jimmy, is all of your behind-the-scenes stories that are rooted in history of the music business that you can't read about most of the time in a book. It, it's your personal experiences at Max's Kansas City with sometimes, you know, famous people and even some not so famous people. But you've got you've got your chunk of history that we really, Mark and I really felt like needed to be preserved because you can't read it in a book. It's just 
Well, I've been very honored to cross paths. I've been very honored to cross paths with history and those who helped make it, including the young lady that's our guest on this particular program Me too. with Yvonne. Me too. And, so um, and, and, and that whole downtown scene and so much, which is why I always make a point that Max's and during the period that Yvonne waitressed and then beyond that um, is really where the scene that I grew to love was born. There was no underground club in America right. that I'm aware of that, that the Warhol factor the punk factor, the dolls right. and Wayne County and Holly and everything that followed, uh, to be in any kind of way a part of that was just so exciting. And especially as Yvonne knows, because she was there as it was happening, uh, history was made and helped change the world culturally, yes. pop culture-wise, changed, changed the world. changed nightlife for, forever in New York and actually was the first, which I always say, you know, given you know what where where we're at right now in 2020, Max's was the first place to allow transvestites and treat them with dignity and respect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, right. And that's because, you know. And then the, and then the war thing, obviously right. exploded exactly. with that with how as as many of them became stars, whether in films like Hollywood Lawn or um, Jane County uh, as a recording Bobby artist. Jane. Exactly. Can't, yes, exactly. And and the film stars like Bridget Berlin, who just passed, or exactly. uh, or Joe D'Alessandro, all uh, being there, and it was just it was like uh, it, it was a one once in a once in one, a lifetime. One stop, it was a one stop shop. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. It was a place exactly. where everybody belonged. Yeah. Yeah, right? right. It was a place where everybody belonged. Yeah. And so I think that's why it's still loved yeah. and thought of the way it is so many years later. And so I love Very that you're keeping that memory alive, Yvonne, with the foundation. Well, thank you. And, and, and I just wanted to say that the, the, the one last thing is that what, what, what is so different then as opposed to now, is we are all still an extended family. I mean, the family is really still extended between all of us. And one, the connections that were made there are still connected for the most part in one way or another, mm -hmm. you know, which yes. is very yes. rare. I mean, I don't know of another place, maybe a little bit Studio 54, you know, but I really don't know, you know, it, Max's was the precursor to Studio 54. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, so. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And the music. Uh, uh, yes. <laughs> and the no music. Disco. Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. And then Max's had the upstairs <laughs> disco. We always say, you know, you got dressed up. To go to, to Studio Fifty Four, but you got you dressed down mm. to go to the disco upstairs. At exactly. Or exactly. Undressed. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And Jane wasn't Jane. So, but Jane was a DJ upstairs at Max's. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Well, Wayne was at the time. It Wayne. was Wayne at That's the time. Wayne. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. And uh, became and and wrote a song called Max's Kansas City, which right. still gets played on Sirius XM. It was right. um, mm -hmm. she said that her manager at the time, Peter Crowley, told her to write something commercial 
But then she wrote the song and he said, I didn't tell you to write a commercial. I said to make a song that's commercial because it wound up sounding like a commercial. Because that's that is very yeah. funny. It is. It is. It's a true story. Yeah. Yeah. She, yeah, because, yeah, yeah. That's one of my favorites. But yeah. um, Yvonne, wonderful that you w took this time out to be with us. I know yes. we're way over time, I'm sure. Thanks yeah, so, well, we're getting there. Yeah. We're getting there, Jimmy. Yes, I love, I so much enjoy it. And, and also always, always, you know, keeping the nonprofit in the public eye, you know. You'll, you'll have to come back and do this again soon. I will. So yeah. do we, do we still have time, Susan? I think we we're going to, I think we're going going to run out in about five minutes or so. So I'm going to ask Yvonne if there was one musical event at Max's that you were present for that sticks in your mind most dramatically, what would that be? Well, I have to say, I mean, there's, there's so many, I have to be honest with you, but the Velvet Underground, you know, the, that when they did that summer at Max's, I was always, I was always enamored with Lou. I mean, I <laughs> To this day, yes. I'm enamored yes. with Lou, yes. you know, and, oh, yes. and, and yes. that, that whole, yeah, so that was probably my favorite, but there were so many. Good choice. Yeah. Yeah, good choice, though. Well, because they're so associated, the pelvis yeah. with uh, Max's, it, yeah. yeah, so it, it makes perfect sense. Well, thank yeah. you, darling. Well, thank you so much thank for you. having and me, Susan, and Jim, and Mark. I so appreciate it. And stay safe and well, everybody. Yes, you too, Yvonne. Absolutely. Yes. No COVID-19 for you. No. <laughs> or any or anybody. Or yeah. you too, Jimmy. No, no COVID-19 no. for you. No. No, no, no. All righty. Okay. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye, Yvonne. Bye. Take care, Yvonne. See you soon. So Thank you, everyone, for watching another glorious episode of La Lumination with the fabulous Jimmy LaLumia and... And the amazing Susan Faber-Gady. <laughs> See you next time. And you got it. Arrivederci. Stay well. And you can catch this as a podcast, by the way, before we go. You can catch this as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Absolutely. Take care. Yes, we'll see you next time. This is the fabulous Jimmy LaLumia. Thank you for listening to LaLumination. If you like what you're hearing, you can watch the full video episode on YouTube. Just search for the LaLumination channel or visit the website www.lalumination.com.